Um, I've entitled Knowing God as Our Creator. Um, And my goal for this morning is that we would begin to think more deeply and frequently about the implications of this fact, that God made us and everything else in our physical world. It's not a coincidence that the first verse of the first book in the Bible, Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the foundation of all of our beliefs. If we skip this crucial building block, nothing else about the Bible or Christianity will make sense. The whole Christian world, the whole Christian worldview is built around the foundation that God is our creator and created the world and everything in it. So it frames the whole story, this introduction. The Bible is a collection of books primarily about God. We sometimes get it wrong when we make it about us or we make it some sort of self-help book that we go to for wisdom alone, when in reality it is God's self-disclosure of who He is and what He has done in creation and in redemption of mankind. Um, Just this week I actually met some guys at the gym and I was uh, sharing the gospel with a couple of them and uh, one of them afterwards said, listen, even if you, he was trying to say to these other guys that he was on my team, even if you don't even believe in the miracles and stuff, you could, if you read the Bible for yourself, you'll see that Jesus is a pretty cool dude. And that was his take home and he encouraged me afterwards. He's like, oh, wasn't it great sharing the gospel? He's like, I hope they go home and find out that Jesus is a really cool dude. But yeah, more than just moral goodness, more than just loving people, if that's what you think the Bible's all about, you've kind of missed the whole context of the story. You see, God is on a whole nother plane to humanity. God is not part of our physical world in that he doesn't, he's not made up of atoms. You know, he's not, um, an imma- he's not a material thing. He's an immaterial, uh, personal being who created the world. So this is, as we'll see, we'll, we'll discover God as creator is why he's also the king of our universe and why he's also worthy of our worship. So um, the first thing I want to sort of think about is uh, this distinction between God and creation um, and him not being a created being. It means that he's not bound by our space and time continuum. Uh, It says in Psalm 90 verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth or the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So God has existed prior to the formation of the earth, prior to the formation of the galaxies, the stars, and he will exist far, far after all of those things cease to be, or if they cease to be. We'll see as we continue. So in the beginning, there was God. So he existed prior to gravity, prior to physical matter, time, and space. Uh, everything in our world was brought into existence by God. Now, I was trying to avoid science this morning, but I found a quote that I, I just couldn't resist sharing. Um, does anyone, can you put your hand up if you know who the astrophysicist uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson is? Hands up if you've heard of Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's the most famous astrophysicist. Yeah, good, Darren, you're a, a nerd. <laughs> No, he's the most famous astrophysicist in the world. Um, he's been very popular on, on TV in America, uh, and he's highly respected as, as one of the greatest in this field. But I must say, this quote is uh, rather interesting, coming from a man of his intelligence. 
So I want you to hear in his own words how he thinks the world began. So in the beginning, about 13.7 billion years ago, all the space and all the matter and all the energy of the known universe was contained in a volume less than one trillionth the size of a point of a pin. Conditions were so hot, the basic forces of nature that collectively describe the universe were unified. For reasons unknown, this sub-pinpoint-sized cosmos began to expand. Am, am I the only one in the room who thinks that that's kind of a funny quote? <laughs> so, I know he's trying to do science, and he's trying to do the best he can by eliminating God from the equation, um, but I find that to be completely unbelievable. Um, but unfortunately, as an atheist, he, ha he, can't, he can't lean on a supernatural creator that exists outside of our universe, so he has to come up with some sort of explanation that he, he admits we don't have a clue um, what forces broke apart this pinpoint, or smaller than a pinpoint, in the universe. He could have just said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, so yeah, reasons unknown, the world began to expand. Um, now, does anyone know how large the sun is in our solar system? Very big. That's a good answer. <laughs> Congratulations. You're good A+. So the sun has a radius of approximately 100 to 120 times uh, larger than the earth, which I at first thought, oh, that's, that's pretty awesome. But I haven't been in school for a little while, so I didn't really work out the maths, but I, I looked a little bit further. If it has a radius 100 times larger than our earth, that means that we can fit approximately, I think, uh, 4 billion earths inside of our sun. 4 billion earths will fit in the sun. That's just mind-boggling. And this chart sort of gives you a little bit of an idea of the size difference. We might get one right. <laughs> now, our sun isn't even the biggest sun in our universe. Oh, we, there's, there's suns that are 100,000 and much larger than the sun that we have. So, yeah, the world is a really big place. And um, it's about all I have to say on science this morning. So we can move back to scriptures, which is my speciality. But this is why one of the reasons why idolatry is so severely condemned in the Bible, because people end up worshipping creation rather than the God who made it. See, in Romans chapter 1, Paul writes an indictment against those who worship idols instead of the everlasting God. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things." Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Creation is supposed to make us marvel at the greatness of the one who made it. 
when we look at the size of these things, we're supposed to acknowledge and, and worship a God who is greater in magnitude than anything we can see with our eyes. This is just a taste of the power and might of our God. It says in Psalm 19 verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. See, God is not to be confused with the things that he has made. He's not made from our nature. He's not one with our nature. We read in 1 Kings chapter 6 that the temple that was erected by Solomon had carved, carved images in the timber of angels, palm trees, lions, and open flowers. These art pieces were supposed to remind Israel of God, their creator, who made all things, as well as being allusions to the Garden of Eden and the future resurrection when God will restore that Eden-like heaven on earth for all those who are redeemed. In the most holy place of the temple was the Ark of the Covenant. And if you remember that, an artwork of the Ark of the Covenant, there was two angels, two golden angels, with their wings spread out over the Ark, with a gap in between the wings. And the position of the angels above the Ark was called the Mercy Seat. And we learn uh, from reading in Scripture that God used to speak to Moses his presence used to speak to, to Moses from uh, between those two angels in the empty space. Not from the angels, not from the gold, not from the carvings. God didn't actually have an image in the temple to, to, to represent him because God was trying to show the Israelites that even with all of this beauty, it points to me, but it is not me. I am not of creation. He is the creator. He is completely distinct. And we too as humans, we're distinct from God. We're not an extension of God. We are creatures, not the creator. According to our English dictionaries, the word creature arose from Middle English and simply means a created thing. So that's what you are this morning, in case you wondered. You're a created thing. Not only are humans created by God, but angels are also created. Um, angels are creatures as well. They haven't eternally existed which means that Satan himself is a created being. He's a creature. It says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, that Jesus created the angelic realm. It says, By him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So we need to remember that spiritual beings are not like God. They are a created being. Um, and we read in Revelation that Satan will have an end. God is the only one who's truly everlasting. And um, I just want to say to you this morning, if you're having a problem with evil spirits, if you're being harassed in your sleep, if you're having nightmares, or if you've been involved in the occult, or you've been involved in false worship of other things, the Lord Jesus can break you free from those things. Because he's the creator. He's more powerful. It's not an arm wrestle between Satan and God where one minute Satan's winning and the next minute God's winning. God is the creator and these evil spirits are creation and rebellion against him, but they really don't have power. Um, Pastor Dan reminded me last week of the story of when Jesus spoke to Simon Peter. And he said, Simon, Simon, uh, Satan has asked that he might sift you as wheat. And, and Darren said to me, why, why did Satan need to ask permission to sift Peter as wheat? And the answer is because Satan doesn't have power to do anything without the permission of God. 
He's bound. He's a creature. So yeah, the Lord Jesus can set you free. The scriptures say all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. So you don't need to be afraid of evil spirits. You don't need to be overcome by evil because if you are in relationship with God, you can walk in freedom. My second implication is that God created the world with purpose and meaning. Um, I don't know if you realize this, but along with this great idea about the pinpoint exploding into millions and millions of stars, Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, also promotes the idea of what is called the big rip. Now, this is, again is one of the most popular theories on what's going to happen to our universe billions of years from now. So scientists have discovered that the expansion of our universe is accelerating at such a rate that eventually it will outstrip all gravitational forces currently holding things together. In short, every molecule is going to split apart and the whole universe is just going to explode, basically, and there's going to be nothing left. Everything's going to be spread so far apart that there won't be a, a planet, there won't be a body, nothing. Everything will just vaporize. Sounds very sci-fi. I think you might have been watching a bit of Star Wars when it came up with that one. It's, um, even if that wasn't the case, the other uh, theory is basically due to the second law of thermodynamics. Uh, we're running out of usable fuel in the universe. Basically, even if you look at the stars, something like our sun, eventually our sun's going to run out of power and it's going to go cold and black and every life form on Earth will die. And no matter what scientists try to do to find another planet or anything like that, the same problem is universe-wide. The whole universe is eventually going to go cold and black. That is the future of a human race who has no hope. But we as believers, we have hope. It's not this sad story. It's good news. It's good news that we have a creator who loved us who created us with purpose and intention. Uh, King David, um, he, was, he was aware of the universe's frailty. In 1000 BC, when he wrote in Psalm 102, verse 25, he said, Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years have no end. See, David realized that God was eternal, but even our universe, not only did it have a beginning, but our universe is slowly dying and needs redemption. And we know one who can redeem it. See, when naturalists run away from God, they're left with a bleak present and a bleak future. If you just believe the universe spontaneously came into existence, then you're only here by chance. You're just a bunch of chemicals that happen to make it. Um, you're just one in a million or a billion, depending on how many there were. I don't want to go there. <laughs> Psalm 8, verse 3 to 5 says, When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? We have a God in heaven who cares for us. You know, we're tiny. We're just little specks of dust in this grand universe, but we have a God who cares. Isaiah 45 verse 18 says, Thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, there is no other. You see, we're created in the image of God. He didn't create us for no purpose. He didn't create the world in vain. That's what the scriptures teach us. And more than that, this God who created the world wants a relationship with you. It says in 2 Timothy that God, our Savior, desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He desires that Neil deGrasse Tyson 
would be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He's willing to forgive him of all this foolishness if he would turn from his sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He can have a relationship with the one who truly did spin the stars into existence. Rather than leaving us with God's revealed word alone, he also sent Jesus Christ to take on human flesh, to dwell among us. You see, God is so great that it's very hard to try to imagine. I don't know, have you, have you ever like, sat on a trampoline, or, like laid back on a trampoline or laid down under the stars at night on a sleeping bag and just tried to imagine with our little brain how big the universe truly is? Like star after star after star and to think that some of those stars we're looking at are, are bigger than our entire solar system. Like it, it, it hurts my brain. And then to think that God is bigger and greater than all of that. But this God who is so big, decided the best way that he could reveal himself to us was to send his son, Jesus Christ, to take on human flesh and dwell among us so that we could know who he is. We could come to know him. My third implication is that because God is the creator, not only are miracles possible, but it's actually easy for God to perform miracles. I think this is actually one of the biggest mistakes we make in our gospel presentations when we try to convince people that God raised Jesus from the dead, their, their worldview is, well, that can't happen. That doesn't make sense. There must be another explanation. It seems ridiculous to people um, who are thinking purely in a naturalistic worldview. You know, skeptics might struggle with questions like, how can miracles be possible? Or how can somebody live forever? You know, if the world's just here by chance, and we're bound by physical laws that can't be broken, then everything um, is just a chance. But you see... We need, to, we need to not take it for granted that people know the same things that we know, that God created the world. We need to actually tell them about this. You see, when the Apostle Paul uh, was preaching to the Athenians um, in Acts chapter 17, they weren't Jews, so they, didn't, they weren't that familiar with you know, the story of creation and how God had dealt with the Jewish people. They were idol worshippers, and they had their own beliefs about God. So when Paul preached to them, he established a foundation that God is the creator before he moved to the story of the resurrection. So in Acts 17, he said to them, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. You see, Paul said, God made the world and everything in it. In our context in Australia, I think it's really important that we tell people that we believe the world exists because God brought it into existence. It changes the way we think about miracles in the Bible. So, again, I joined a gym recently, so you'll probably hear me talk about the gym a lot now when I'm on stage. Hopefully, you eventually notice a difference. Um, at the moment, it's uh, primarily in my head. But anyways, <laughs> you have to actually go to the gym to build muscle, in case you were wondering. So in my infrequent journeys to the gym, I was in the sauna. They have a steam room sauna that's really cool. And for some reason, people like, it's really hot. Okay, it's really hot. All right. It's a really hot sauna. See how little I go to the gym? I don't even know the temperature of it. So in this sauna, yeah, we were having a chat and um, some guys were in there and they were talking about the power of positive thinking and they were talking about visualization. And one of the guys in there was trying to convince me that if only 
I can think in my head of some great reality that it will come to pass. And in his case, he wants to be rich um, and a whole bunch of other things. And so he's visualizing um, these sort of riches coming to him. Now, this is something that's really mainstream, like Oprah Winfrey teaches it. Many, many, many famous people um, say that it's, you know, the greatest thing ever, you know, imagining your future sort of thing. Uh, Anyway, so as we were discussing these things, I tried to draw some common ground, which you should always do if you're going to have a conversation about Christ. So I said to him, well, you know, that sounds something similar to the Bible. It says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And he's like, oh, that's pretty interesting. And then I, um, I went on to say, well, in the uh, Old Testament, the Jewish children would, would strongly desire the, the verbal blessing of their parents. Like they would seek after it because they realized that if their parents pronounced a verbal blessing over them, that it actually did affect their future. They actually did receive a blessing from the Lord. And likewise, there were curses as well, verbal curses. And I mentioned, you know, Proverbs 18 that says the power of life and death is in the tongue. And so we had a little bit of a backwards and forwards on that. And then uh, basically they started uh, attacking the idea of religion and Christianity and all of that. And so I decided to give it back to them because, you know, we're all blokes in the gym even though I don't look like I go to the gym. <laughs> and I just said to them, all right, well, I said, if you can raise yourself from the dead through the power of positive thinking, then I'll worship you. <laughs> and um, they were like, oh, oh, and they were sort of, you know, not really sure how to answer that. And I said, listen, Moses crossed the Red Sea with one million Israelites. God parted that Red Sea so they could cross over on dry land. And when the Egyptians tried to follow those waters came back over and drowned the entire Egyptian army. I said, Moses didn't do that through visualization. There's no one on earth who can do that through visualization. I said, we have a, there's a creator God who is powerful, who can do these things. And so I explained to them that foundation, that because we have a creator who is all-powerful, I said, these things are easy for God. And it's not hard to part the Red Sea. He created our sun. Parting the Red Sea is an easy feat for God. So you see, once we get the foundation right, hopefully everything else in Scripture will begin to make sense to people. Um, and so that conversation was great. It carried on all the way into the locker room. And yeah, it's a story for another time. So the miracles are not only uh, possible, but they're also plausible. You see, God who created the physical laws of our universe, he can also bend them or break them if he wants to. Really, God can do whatever he wants. So Jesus walking on water, well, Jesus can't do that. That defies gravity. Well, why not? He created the ocean. It's not hard for him. It's really easy. So it's just something to think about. And this is why we also believe in the power of prayer as Christians. Because when we ask God for things, we ask a powerful God for things. We don't ask an impotent God. We ask a God who's a living God. We ask the Creator. Um, I was actually struggling to prepare my sermon yesterday. I had massive amounts of uh, brain fog. Uh, and there was a thousand other things on my plate. I just, everything got well past me. But I decided I'd turn to my creator in prayer. And um, as I was praying, I was reminded of the verse in Isaiah chapter 40, which says, Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and those who have no might, he increases strength. And so I just spent the rest of the day giving thanks to God. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your power in my life. And because he is the creator, he can do 
amazing things beyond our imagination. The uh, fourth implication and last one I want to bring up with us is that because God is our creator, he's also our king, which means we're accountable to him. And ultimately, this is why he's worthy of our worship and adoration. Psalm 95 says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land. Oh, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. The psalmist invites us to worship God our King, who is our maker. If God made, made us, it means that he owns us. He owns everything that we have. You see, we get this wrong as humans. We think that we own things, that that's my house, that's my car, that's my kids, that's my wife. No, you are a steward of the creation of God, and you're going to give an account to God for how you have stewarded your creation. It's on loan to you, and he's going to ask you what you did with your life and what you did with it. And I think this leads to another point with our gospel presentation. We sometimes get it wrong where I hear people say to people on the street all the time, you know, Jesus died for your sins, or hey man, Jesus loves you. Those are really wonderful aspects of the gospel that I don't think we should neglect at all. But we also need to lay this foundation that Jesus is King. And because he is King and Lord, we are accountable to him. You see, when Paul preached to the Athenians and he said God made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth, is how he introduced this God. He is Lord of heaven and earth. Why? Because he created everything in it and he owns it. And there's no escaping from God because he is our creator. And the, the question I want to ask you now is, why would you want to escape from God? Why would you want to run from him? He's the one who can strengthen you. He's the one who can deliver you from evil. He's the one who can forgive you of your sins. He's the one who can give you inner rest. The other things that people have been turning to, they're not going to give you the things that God can give you. You see, if I have an issue with my car, I'm going to turn to the manual on my car. Why? Because the maker of the car knows better than I do. Well, who is the maker of your body? Who is the maker of relationships and the family unit? Who is the maker of all things we see, it's God. So we need to turn to him in his word. We need to turn to the owner's manual and find out, God, what am I doing wrong? And how can I be in relationship with you? And he sent Jesus Christ as a visual representation on earth so that we can know him, so that we can, we can know who he is as a person because he wants a relationship with us. So as I say that, I just invite the band to come back on and we're going to... We're going to worship this King and Redeemer. But I just want to lead us in a prayer now, especially for those who may not know the Lord Jesus, may not know this Creator as their own um, personal Creator. I just want to invite you to pray with me and invite God into your life. So we'll just spend some time in prayer. Lord in heaven, you are the great King above all creation. You are mighty and powerful. Lord, we put our trust in you. We look to you for our answers. We look to you for wisdom. We look to you for strength. We look to you for healing. We look to you for our future also, Lord. 
you've promised a glorious future for those who know you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came and died on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins and that you were raised from the dead for our justification. We thank you that you're the living God, that you hear us, and that we can know you. Lord, we ask for your mercy now. We ask, Lord, bring us to yourself. We thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.